Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. We're hearing a lot lately about the connection between Wall Street and Main Street. This is Colleen Shaddix for the Yale Office of Public Affairs, talking with Alex Asiadu, head of Stanbeck Investment Management Services. Mr. Asiadu's experience shows how the vitality of emerging financial markets can affect what's happening on Main Streets throughout Africa. He's currently a World Fellow at Yale University. Even with credit tightening up a bit here, I can still charge on my credit card, I can borrow to grow my business or buy a home. There are many, many different products I can choose from to invest for my retirement. How does that compare with the financial services that the average African can have access to? Well, that's interesting. Um, First of all, I'm I'm not really sure what your definition of average African is Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of disparity between different parts of Africa. So I'm going to use Sub-Saharan Africa as, okay. as my guide. Now, financial services. Well, the financial sector is not really deep. If you take my country, Ghana, as an example, only 55, 60% of, of, the fin- of, of the populace is, is affected by the financial sector. That means that roughly 40% of the economy is not captured by the financial sector. Now, to that extent, not everything that happens in the formal sector, financial sector, would affect 40% of, of the Ghanaian mm-hmm. population. I don't know whether I'm explaining it mm-hmm. right. So 40% does not have a bank account, does exactly. not have a credit card. Exactly. So, well, even with credit cards, I mean, I'm supposed to be upper middle class Ghanaian. I don't have a credit card. Mm-hmm. I mean, credit cards were just introduced in our economy two years ago. So to that extent, it's not a very deep financial sector. It has its pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. The pluses are that we don't get, we are not positively correlated with events on Wall Street as they are happening now. The minuses are that we don't have access to financial innovation as you would have right now. Yeah. Now, the lack of a really developed financial sector, what does that mean for economic growth? It means a lot. Again, it means that when financial firms, when financial entities like the Barclays, the Standard Banks, etc., are innovative, it does not, because it does not impact directly on the average person, it also does not impact directly on growth. Mm -hmm. Again, if you're just using plain math, since 40% of the population is not affected by the financial sector, you're only getting a certain fraction of your financial policies on growth. So it it tends to constrain growth. Mm -hmm. Take interest rates. If the central bank is dropping rates so that it wants to encourage growth, and again, a large section of the population is not affected by the banking sector, then it means that only a certain fraction of the population is going to be affected by that growth in growth enhancing policy. So the less financial deepening there is, the less the opportunity for the entire economy to be impacted positively by positive growth enhancing policies. So as you build the investment bank, you create all these opportunities then to do things that would stimulate the economy, right? Like give me a small business loan, that sort of thing. Yes. I mean, for, for me, I mean, I, I, I head up asset management for my firm. And you have an economy that has a very low savings rate. I think it's about between 10 and 15% of gross domestic product. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea is that if you build a savings pool, then you have a larger, I mean, savings equals investment, then you have a larger investment pool f- through which you can do a lot more things, give out loans, 
direct direct the monies to productive sectors of the economy. So in that wise, building up the asset base of a bank or of an asset management company helps helps the economy. And what needs to happen to create those conditions? What needs to happen for financial markets to grow in Africa? Well, Take all your time. <laughs> <laughs> we need a lot of stuff. We need we need better regulation. We need more education. I mean, we need people to know that hiding their money under their mattresses is not going to generate growth. I mean, there are secure, well-regulated, well-capitalized banks that would use the money. That would also give you a return on the money. Mm-hmm. So we need education. We need innovation too. For example, Barclays Bank, which I'm sure you know of, mm-hmm. is well-established in my country. We have we have indigenous ways of saving and investing. We have what we call susu, susu unions, where people in little groups put together their monies and lend each other money with it, create investments with it. Barclays has found a way of tapping into these susu pools. Mm-hmm. And so these funds are now being channeled into the formal sector. That is innovation. Mm-hmm. So innovation, education, better regulation, and then stability, political and economic stability. The more of it, the more of this kind of stability there is, the more people are going to be inclined to trust the banking sector. I have a very interesting anecdote. 20 years, 20, 25 years ago, there was a coup d'etat in my country. Mm-hmm. And the then dictator, let me call him that, decided that all those with certain amounts of money in the banking sector would have the monies confiscated. Now, what would that do for confidence? Right. It meant that now, we are now a very liberal economy, but it's, it meant that people who were affected by that rule still need to be convinced to put money back in the banking sector. Now, that is an example of unstable policies or unstable politics mm-hmm. impacting negatively on on the financial sector or financial deepening. And 25 years ago is not that long ago. No, I mean, so it, memories that's are quite still a barrier. affected, yes. How large a role do you think that oil is going to play in growth in Ghana? To the extent that the oil import bill for my country, which until recently was non-oil producing, is about 40%, you realize that oil plays a pivotal Mm. role. I mean, oil impacts oil, and when it rises, when the price rises, impacts directly on inflation, growth, people's perception of stability, Mm -hmm. of economic stability. So oil is important. Again, with us, we just discovered oil, I think, a year ago. So if we're able to produce it in commercial quantities, then that plugs that oil import gap that we have. Now it leaves aside resources to use in development, to use in developing the financial sector, mm-hmm. agricultural sector, etc. So oil plays a really important role. And again, because we've discovered oil, Hopefully, if we use it well, we stand to gain. There's a caveat. There is something we finance people call the oil man's case. And that's <laughs> happened to some... I think I know what that is. Yes, African <laughs> countries. To the, we have to be able to make sure that revenues and the gains that, that come from oil are impact on every single citizen of a country. Mm-hmm. But if it only goes to vested interests then you're going to create opportunities for more corruption and then um, more income inequality because more of the money is going to just a small section of the population and that comes with all its side, side negative So how side do you effects. do that? 
Well, what my country has done is that they've talked to Norway, which has, I think Norway is an example of a relatively small economy that has handled oil revenues well. I think they have a fund where oil revenues, where the profits from oil trade go into in, time, in good times and then they can draw on the fund in bad times too. Mm-hmm. So we've talked to the Norwegians. Um, again, how do you do that? Apart from tapping on expertise and tapping on good experiences with the oil sector, you need good governance. You need the institutions that are in control of the economy to be stable. You need less corruption. I mean, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to sit here and pontificate, but I guess if we dwell on past experiences of those who've been through it before, we can we can chart a good course for, for ourselves. So speaking of learning from others, um, we're sitting here in the United States in the middle of a financial crisis. Asia was in crisis about a decade ago. Are there lessons that you can learn from those markets to avoid those pitfalls yourself? That's a difficult one. What lessons have we learned? I guess, and to the extent that derivatives have played a large part in in this crisis here, I think that, and I'm I'm, I'm answering from the perspective of a fund manager, Mm -hmm. you should only buy into assets that you fully understand. Mm -hmm. I mean, you should not get into certain investments or certain assets simply because the whole the rest the rest of the rest of Wall Street is getting into it. So that's one thing. And I think too that America is a victim of its own success. Financial innovation has bred this this the excesses that we are seeing now. You don't have a credit card. No. So I I, I, I don't I don't spend more than I more than I earn. Mm-hmm. Well it has its again it has its negative sides and its positive sides. But I think that we should take financial innovation, and we should also make sure that we don't we take the good sides of it. I mean, we should also, to an extent, make sure that our regulators are up to speed with exactly what is happening on the on the financial markets. Mm-hmm. Make sure that the banks still remain heavily capitalized. Make sure that people know exactly what they're getting into. I don't know whether that is enough for us to take. Um, you only know you've been hit by a financial shock when it after it has happened so i don't know but if if we take only the innovations that we deem fit for small open markets like us i guess we should be able to avoid this kind of this kind of shock now are you feeling a ripple effect from what's happening here you mean me being here in Ye- at Yale or back in Ghana <laughs> no i mean the markets in Ghana are they affected by what's happening in the states yes and no Yes, because as the financial meltdown occurs here, it's obviously going to affect, well, the world commodity markets. Mm -hmm. My country gains the bulk of its revenues from cocoa and gold and other raw material. If this meltdown is going to make the prices of those products go down, then we are adversely affected. That's one point. Now, with the stock market, we have been thankfully spared the excesses because our markets are not, the movements of our markets are not directly correlated with mm-hmm. the movements on your market. So to that extent, you might even claim that there'll be certain funds here that would effect a flight to frontier Invest, markets like yeah. ours. So we gain from your loss on that score. Well, speaking of your market, I read that your stock market index has more than doubled in value since 2007. That's extraordinary. How do you explain that number? Well, 
we we used to be an island of stability in our part of the world. I don't think we are any longer an island, which is a good thing because there are more pockets of stability in West Africa. Mm-hmm. But I guess political stability has helped. It's drawn in funds. Not just political stability, economic stability. The indicators are okay. Inflation till recently was hitting single digits. So we've had financial stability, economic stability. We've had political stability. Mm-hmm. We've had a market that is well regulated. We've had people saying, waking up and saying, wow, there's a market like Ghana. It's good news. Not people, not many people know about this good news. Let's get into it before the rest of the bandwagon mm-hmm. gets into it. So on that score, we've gained. That's prob- that probably explains it. And let's not forget that there are a lot of countries in Africa that have averaged 6 to 8% growth. Mm-hmm. Probably the best kept secret in investment right now. So to that extent, I mean, that impacts positively on the stock market too. Tell me a little bit about your World Fellow experience. What are you taking back from it? A number of things. First thing is that um, I'm getting to, I've gotten to be part of a global network of people who who are the leading edge of what they do in their fields. And to the extent that I can call Imtiaz in Pakistan or Sandra from Germany or, or Felix from Nicaragua, incidentally, these are fellow fellows. Right. At any time for the rest of my life, I think mm-hmm. that I have gained a lot. So I've gained a network of deep friendships, relationships that I can fall on for the rest of my life. The second thing is that, and I, you'd probably find this interesting, we've always had this stereotype of Americans, with all due respect, as haughty people, people who are not willing to learn, people who are ready to to, to instill what they believe is their perception of the world on mm-hmm. the rest of us. And that's, I guess, I guess to summarize, people from the rest of the world see America through the eyes of its, through, through its foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Since being here for the past six weeks, I've, I've had a different experience. People are beautiful, not, ex- not just physically. People are beautiful inside. They are passionate about what they do. They seem earnestly ready to listen to you, to listen to your experiences, whether you are from one of the poorer regions of the world or not. So in a nutshell, my thinking of Americans has changed deeply and probably for the rest of my life. I think that is, I go back as a new ambassador for America to tell the people that, hey, they are not like us, you think. They're people who care just like you think you care. And they are also a force for good for the rest of the world. So I've gained on that score too. I guess those are the main things. And again, I'm learning different things in different fields from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things I've gained on the on the program. Thank you. We've been talking with Alex Aseadu, who's participating in Yale's World Fellows Program for Emerging Leaders Around the Globe. For more information, please visit yale.edu slash worldfellows.